Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, Hillary Phelps and I went to college together, but I can promise you this was the longest conversation we have ever had. When we went to college together, we were both drunks. I mean, we probably admittedly were both fall down drunks and uh, now we're both sober. Uh, she's sober more than 15 years. And, uh, you know, her brother is Michael Phelps. Uh, that's brought her into the public eye. We talk about that a little bit. She was the best swimmer on the planet for a little while as a kid. Uh, and we talk about how that factored into her struggles and, and her alcoholism and the story about her getting to the other side and what she does today to maintain her sobriety. And the way that I feel after talking to her, I hope you get some of that. She's a woman of service. She is a very attractive person. Uh, if you listen to this, you will feel the same way and know exactly what I'm talking about. So coming up is Hillary Phelps, but first, the most attractive guy on the planet, Kevin Souza. Hi. Oh, Hillary, you sound great. Thank you. That's a good, no, that's a good, that's, uh, that's a really good connection. Some people, some people you will answer because we don't, we do this over the phone. We don't, we don't like to, I like the intimacy of over the phone and kind of like the anonymity, but when you, uh, yeah, you, when you answer the phone, it was crystal clear. It didn't sound like two tin cans, like, you know, somebody stringing them together. Great. I still use the old school Apple plug into my phone earphones because oh. I feel like the other ones sometimes sound a little like um underwater or they cut out more easily or yeah so, so these are the originals huh <laughs> these are the original mike yeah. you hear that this is mike the producer mike say hi hi mike <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's nice to meet you yeah uh, they're great you've maybe listened to one or two yeah so i'm an alcoholic i've listened to like i like binge <laughs> them the last couple months <laughs> seriously what do you what do you think <laughs> They're great. Well, that's why I was, you're joking. You're like, it's not 60 minutes. I'm like, see what I've listened to your stuff. It's great. Um, but it's really casual. It's like an easy flow. You're really good. So I felt, you know, really comfortable. So I feel very comfortable having this conversation. You were, you were <laughs> nice and complimentary of us. So I want you to hang in there and you take this com compliment. I was just talking to Mike and he said, how do you know Hillary? I said, well, we went to school together. And when I got sober, you were already... I got sober more than 10 years ago and you were already, not only were you already sober, but you were already kind of like, I, I knew you were sober through Rebecca Pacheco, who we went to school with. And oh, then I, did I, yeah, did I, I tell her? I, oh, I guess I did. Maybe you were, <laughs> were you out there publicly, like on Twitter or something? I, I forget how I found no, out. No, I think I reached out to you. I'm yeah. not, this, when I said to you the other day, like I've there are some friends in DC who are like, we should go out for drinks. And I'm like, well, and I'm just starting to tell people because I'm coming up on 15 years. And um, I have this kind of, and I can share this later too, but this like, a, well, anyway, I think I reached out to you because I think you shared something. Yes, about like five so years, that's what having happened. Five years. No, 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 it was before that. It was before that. Or a year, maybe yes. it was a year. And I emailed you. 
privately on DM and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been sober for six years because I think I, I'm coming up on 15 in June. So I'm just a year. I don't know how much did you just, you said you just celebrated 10 yes. November. Yeah. Yes. So I'm just a couple of years. Yeah. And so I think I messaged and I was like, I've been sober since 07. Congratulations. What a great journey here. If you need anything or you know, something like that. That's I think exactly that what, what happened. Was. That's exactly what happened. So Rebecca, you're off the hook. You didn't, you didn't break. You, you didn't break Hillary's anonymity. Yeah, Rebecca's got some great books out there. Check them out. I have them. I yeah. love them. Yeah, she's the best. Um, so when you said that you were, you were sober, that made me feel good, and that kind of brings us to like, what this whole thing is about. You were you were re- revealed right. yourself to me, and it made me feel good, and it made me feel stronger. Well, you were the brave one for putting it out there, <laughs> you know, and it was easier for me then to, to message you and say like, hey, that's amazing. Because for a really long time, and I shared this, I think before, um, I I felt I still wasn't really comfortable. Like it still felt a little shameful. And I think just my opinion, I think women carry a lot of shame um, with them. And so lately, and especially after you I had connected with you about, you know, sharing, you're like, I'm like, I don't know. And, but what I realized is like the people that are going to judge my story or going to think differently of me, aren't my people. It's the one person that I could help. And that's when I was like, you know what? I, I want to be a little bit more transparent about this because those are my people, you know, the ones that this could make a difference or the ones that could hear this. I mean, I know you've been in the meeting when you're like, Oh my gosh, me too. And you turn around and it's somebody not saying people admire, you know, but it's someone that you're like, oh my gosh, I never knew you felt that way too. I'm so glad I have that. I feel okay now, or I feel better or whatever that sentiment might be. And that's kind of where I realized like the people that are going to judge aren't my people. Well, it's funny. I, th- there was the reading, you know, like some of the recovery readings that we'll pick up. And yesterday was, you know, brothers in defects and, you know, brothers, sisters, whatever. I mean, the thing was written for forever ago, but <laughs> You know, we really are like, and you'll go to a meeting and somebody who you don't expect to be like you at all will share something so vulnerable and revealing. Uh, And, uh, you know, maybe somebody who's like a senator or something, you know, where you'll be like, oh my gosh, this person is like me. And it's very, um, it's empowering. 100. I mean, you lived in, you weren't sober in New York, right? You got sober in um, but like in DC, that's how it is. Like there are different clubhouses and depending on the clubhouse or meeting, you know, you may find a Senator or a judge or, yeah. you know, somebody that you're and they share and it's, everybody's the same. The slate's clean when you walk through those doors, but it is very, you know, it's, it's a great connection. It's a connection like anything I've ever experienced. Is that one of, you know, looking at another alcoholic that may have on paper seems great or has it all together. And you look at them and you're like, I did that too okay, I don't feel so alone. Okay, I'm okay too. You know, it's that path of feeling sorry for yourself or feeling whatever it is or having one of those low moments to kind of climbing back up the ladder and saying, okay, me too, I'm okay. I said to a dude last night, it's the, be- it's the best locker room on the planet. You know, it really yeah. is. It's the best. I mean, you're an athlete. Let's get, let's get into your story a little bit. So you grow up, you grow up in, in Baltimore, correct? Or I, in the suburbs? I did. I did in Towson. So actually, yes. So we grew up in <laughs> way, way, way outside in a little tiny town called Whiteford. Um, and I started swimming and I was really good, really young. And so I'm the oldest of three. Um, and so my parents sold their dream house that they built um, and moved to Baltimore. 
so we could be closer to the pool swimming but yeah to the pools mm-hmm. but so originally i grew up in farm <laughs> farm country and then we moved a little closer and i got older how did they identify that you were uh like a rock star swimmer at such a young age because you so, be, i guess because you beat everybody else you were faster than everybody else well i so i did summer swimming there's summer swimming and then there's the year-round swimming year-round swimming is where the you know really good kids go um and i started off summer swimming and I went up, <laughs> maybe this is telling to my mom when I, I got a third place trophy and I went up and I'm like, this isn't good enough. I want the big one. I want the big trophy. And um, my mom's like, well, those are summer, those are year round swimmers. You know, if you want the first place trophy, you have to start, you know, swim year round. So I was like, great, sign me up. And I did. Um, and I loved it and I excelled and I was really good, really young. And so kind of by default, my sister and brother started swimming because my mom was driving, my mom and my dad were driving me to practices and, they were like, well, if we're going to sit here with her. You're going to swim too. And so um, I think it was just a love for the sport and then a little bit of natural ability. How do you see that? Yeah. That's pretty. So you have uh, you have children now, right? A boy and a girl? No, I just have a little boy. So you just four. have a little boy. Okay. So uh, he swims too, just from following you on social media. I've seen a little bit of that. Um, how do you, as a... Uh, as a, as a kid, like you, like you said something that I think is so cool. Cause I grew up just loving sports and you mm-hmm. could not keep me off the field. You know, how, do you remember like it being intoxicating, just how much you loved it at a young age? I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved, um, and for me it was just the water, which is really like now it's still a really like soothing and comfortable space. Um, but it was, a, I think what it was is that I was really present. You know, it was like the one time, I think being a kid, I was more present than, than I was as I got older, but I was super involved, like super in the moment, really dialed in when I was swimming, focused on what I was doing. Um, I loved it. I love the competition. It was, and it seemed really like wholesome. You know, it wasn't, I don't know. Yeah, I really, I loved that. I was a swimmer when I was a kid, and I and I and I kind of sucked. I, I, so it, and I, and I loved it, but it was uh, something about I don't know. There was a community within the swim club I went to. I, I shouldn't say I sucked, but I wasn't. I certainly wasn't the best, uh, f- and uh, I certainly wasn't good enough. Where it was something I did year round, but it was a it was a really I, something about going in the water, going under the water, coming up. Uh, there really is something very unique about it and very different than any other sport. And uh, when, when you go to go to like high school, how are you like, what's the swimming situation like? Like, are you still, are you known as Hillary, this great swimmer, or are you known as Hillary, the student? Both. I mean, so when I was, when I was in sixth grade, when I was 12, I started doing, um, or 11, I started doing double practices. So I was a straight A student um, as an 11 and 12 year old, I was the fastest distance swimmer in the country. Um, in the country. And it, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. yeah, so it was pretty good. <laughs> I made nationals at 12. Um, I was the youngest at nationals, uh, and I swam the mile. So I swam the mile, I swam the 200 butterfly, all the like <laughs> 400 IM, all of those events. Um, and I was, and I was really good. I love the distance. I love the distance events. Um, but there was, I remember somebody saying, and this is like, and this is kind of the change that like, as I remember it, it's like, you know, 
if you swam faster, you'd be better. If you studied harder, you'd get better grades. And I remember thinking at that age, like, but I have straight A's and I am the best. Like, I don't know how to get better. And somewhere in my mind, it clicked to you're not good enough. And like, I distinctly remember like that moment as being like, oh, so what I'm doing, which is the best, isn't good enough. And I, at 12, I'm like, what do I do with that? How what, do I process? What like, did you What did you do with that? What, like, what, what happens then? Debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> so when when do you start When do you start to drink? Um, so I actually tried marijuana first, and I didn't like it. I've never liked it. Um, I don't know that I started. I think I was fourteen, and I was thinking about this because I don't know that I remember my first drink, but I remember drinking to feel accepted because everybody else was. And it was beer because that's what you know. I grew up in Baltimore. Um, it was a lacrosse town. Everybody played lacrosse, and I was kind of the odd one because I swam, and nobody swam. Like in high school, swimming wasn't except in some like parochial schools or private schools. Like I went to public school, so it wasn't. We didn't have pools. It wasn't a a thing like lacrosse or soccer or any of those um, team sports. And so it was always. I always felt different. No, <laughs> it, different, it, it's, you know? it's weird because grow, going to high school, you know, outside of Philadelphia, like. There were swimmers, but they had to go swim other places. And and when they practiced, it was like crazy, you know, crazy early hours, you know, or like, you know, just to get the pool access. And it was kind of like they weren't part of like at least the way that I saw it. Like the, it was like, wow, they're, they're unique in a sense. So there were uh, not outcasts, but there was a difference, yeah. right? Definitely. And there's definitely because it wasn't and it wasn't really a cool sport, you know, like um it just wasn't, it wasn't soccer. It wasn't lacrosse. It wasn't team. I mean, it was very much, and you're in your head, right? Like you're in your head for two hours by yourself, like up and down and up and down. Um, and so I always felt different in that way too, you know, because it's a different sport. Not as cool. It's not as, it's not as hip, but I would hang out with the other athletes. And that's where, like, we started drinking. It was like the lacrosse guys, and they would get beer after a game, or we'd go to games and, drink after and I didn't really like it but I wanted to be a part of I didn't like the taste of beer um being a part of got me in a lot in some hot water you know like that mm -hmm. whole that whole thing like feeling like for whatever reason you know we don't see ourselves as we are for me I didn't see myself as I was I just thought I was uh, not good enough like you said um whatever I just felt like I was less than and when I drank Mm -hmm. it made me feel more than or perfect or superior. So I was constantly, not only was it one, there was a camaraderie aspect to it that made me feel like I was part of the group. And two, it was intoxicating. It made me, it made me feel great. And it gave me the confidence to do, you know, to do stuff I I, I was scared to do when I wasn't drunk. 100%. Yeah. And I don't know. And it's, um, you know, or I don't know if I, yeah, I just never felt good enough or funny enough or smart enough or pretty, like I never felt enough with anything. But when I drank, those voices quieted, you know, or that part of my mind would just shut down and I could be whoever it was I wanted to be or whoever it was I thought I'd be. Or maybe I was still the same person, but I didn't care because I had the booze poured on top of it. And and um, some and some of the stuff is out there because cause of your brother and he's a, a public guy, like, but your parents got divorced in 1994. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that, and how does that affect you? And where, where are you at in your development? 
oh, I'm spiraling fast. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> because, <laughs> like, because they're separated, right? I mean, they're not, we're not live, they're not living under the same roof. Um, at that point, no, at that point, I'm like, I'm all in. I'm in active drinking. I'm doing, you know, like, yeah, just all over the place. Um, What's it like, mom, by the way, real quick, because you said active drinking. We'll get your mom in one second or that statement in a second. But what's it like? Give people a window inside. What kind of doors are you starting to go through as a as a young athlete? Because, like, I was – once I figured out that I could drink during the day, I was like, oh, I can do this. And it, I'm not saying I was drinking and falling down, but I was, you know, checking out during the day at times. And then mm-hmm. I figured out I could drink during a Tuesday night and get away with it like – what was the, what was that happening for you at all as as a high schooler? So I was, <laughs> I'm like, how much do I share? I was probably doing a little bit more drugs in high school than I was. Um, <laughs> so you were doing <laughs> okay. Would, so you were doing drugs. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna. So we would eat mushrooms and home at class and like fake cookies, <laughs> and then I'd go to practice. But I've never shared that before, so. Yes. And it was like, I mean, I clearly shared this freely, but like, yeah, so that's what we would do. We do that and we go to class and we would, um, I remember it was like called food for singles and we were like, we're baking cookies today. And we, I mean, the teachers checked out, like it was just kind of a no brainer class. Um, so you're baking like pot cookies in, in school. No, no, no. We had already eaten them. Actually. Okay. Okay. You already eaten them. Okay. 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 Still, <laughs> yeah. still pretty incredible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and then I remember going to practice and like just just not just not caring, like having this kind of like, what are you going to do about it? Like, you you know, like kind of a, a really shitty attitude of like, um, what are you going to do about it? You know, to the coaches. And at that point, I had started, um, you know, I'd been looked at colleges had started to look at me. I was still fine. I mean, I was still you know, often you look back and it's like, man, what could I have been <laughs> if I had, you know, but, but, you know, could I would have should have. And, and I was still decent enough to get, you know, looked at University of Richmond, I got a scholarship to swim there. Um, but I was still surviving. I mean, I was still getting fine grades. I was still swimming fine. You know, I, um, but my mom and my sister was really good. She was third in the world at 14. So my mom was, you know, I kind of, drifted off into the shadows like she was super focused on her and her swimming my brother was starting to come up as an incredible swimmer um so I kind of just faded away and really started my my addiction spiral you know I'd come home like I would drink I didn't drink during the week um but on the weekends I did and there's actually um a girl who later helped me get sober we would drink with and we would um do the hey mister because <laughs> we grew up in Towson so we'd stand outside the liquor stores sure. and ask the guys for Boone's Farms you know we were like I don't know kind of you know kind of cute 16 year old young girls and we're like we have $20 can you buy us some Boone's Farms what is it with us in the Boone's and the Boone's Farms I mean what the hell was going on with that we used to go to golf courses and just get wrecked on Boone's Farm like it was just yeah Mad Dog 2020 something like that yeah and then because before that when it was just beer um like the lacrosse guys are like, we're not buying Boone's Farms. We're not buying wine. We're not buying that stuff. And so they'd come out with roses, wild rose, wild rose, Irish wine or something. I don't know if that even, it is disgusting. And it was like, and I, I was like fancy. I'm like, I'm in high school drinking red wine. And it was the grossest. It was so disgusting. Um, 
but Boone's Farm at least tasted really good, you know, and we could split a bottle of Boone's Farms and it was great. But then I would get, uh, and you know, the things we do, I would buy Bubblicious cotton candy gum because I was convinced it masked the flavor. I mean, the smell of, of the booze. Did you, did, reason, did you have like, any consequences like with that? Did you get caught drinking? I know your mom, you said, was focused on your siblings, but was there, did you live with your mom or your dad after they got divorced? Uh, we live with my mom. Okay. And where's we live with da- my mom? So the three, where's the dad? Three of us. So he's around, he's at swim mates. He's kind of, you know, he's around. Um, he was, Working. I mean, my dad worked a lot to make sure we could swim and had the money because my dad was a police officer. My mom was a teacher. So swimming fees were expensive. And so my dad worked really hard and, and um, like would bartend at, or bounce, um, bounce at a bar at night. You know, he'd work a day shift and then bounce at night so we could, we could swim. Um, and my mom stayed with us. I mean, she worked, she taught, but so we lived with her. And your dad was a really good um, athlete, right? My dad was a good athlete. Yeah, so he tried out for, I always get the mix. The Washington <laughs> Commanders. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, how did you know? You did, re- did you research? You <laughs> Come did on, research. yeah. Wow, yes, he did. I was. Just, I said the Eagles at one point, and he's like, no, yes. So he tried out. He was a really good football player. My mom was a cheerleader. You know, it was this romantic ID, you know. It sounds like romantic the- Romantic story. It sounds like that you guys are like the- the ultimate family, but now here Hillary is, who is number one in the world or, or a country at her age. And do you, and you mentioned it, I mean, we can kind of lean into it because right now I think the way things turned out, you're sitting around and, and, and you're helping somebody today and you have this sunlight mm-hmm. of the spirit that goes through you and continuously helps people. It's not like you're in prison or you died or you're still drinking. Like, but your alcoholism and, and drug use clearly affected your swimming career. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And because if I'm being brutally honest, I looked at it like, okay, I'm a straight A student. I'm a great swimmer. I'm still not good enough. So let me go the other direction and see if I get it. If you're, if I'm being like, if I'm looking back now, so that's kind of what I realized, like, well, I'm not getting the attention when I'm doing great things. Maybe I'll get the attention when I'm not. And that didn't matter either. But doing not good things was a lot more fun than doing the, the you know, great swimming and studying I, really hard. And, I have a good buddy yeah. who shared this exact same philosophy. He's sober now, but he kind of wanted to carve out like his niche and being, um, or niche, however you say that, his, in, in being the best at being the worst. Or, you know, because early mm-hmm. on in his childhood, he was like, I don't know if I can be the best at anything, but I can be the best at this. And mm-hmm. it's sort mm-hmm. of, and he's just an extremely successful guy and a total competitor. Because I, again, a generalization, I think most alcoholics are really badass people, like in a good way. Like, I think we have a lot of drive. I think um, we're super talented. I think we're, you know, like, I mean, I love the quote by Einstein. It's like, we're all geniuses, but if you judge a fish by his ability to climb the tree, he's not, you know, something like that. Like, <laughs> I think we're all geniuses <laughs> in our own way. And, and, but I think, I think alcoholics are just exceptional people, but we, exactly. And so when you put our mind to doing something, whether it's being the best at being really bad, like we're going to do it, you know, cause we have that, we have that drive. Now, I, I don't want to say you're exactly like, like me, but I, I, we went to the same college. I think you were you. You were a year younger than me. 
or two years? I think two years. I think we're the same year as 2000. No, no, I'm 99. Oh, then yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, you're younger. Okay. Um, so we both, you sh- we show up as athletes to college and, and I was just a drunk from the moment I got there. I was drunk before I got there. Uh, and then I got there and for people that don't know, the University of Richmond, God bless the school. It was awesome. I got a great education and some of the best friends I'll ever have in my life. I was lucky to go there. But the way that it was set up, like it was boys on one side and girls on the other. It's not like that anymore. I had like mm-hmm. zero interact. I, I, I don't I don't know that I, I mean, outside of class, like I had no, inter, I had no people skills and I certainly didn't know how to relate to females and I was always drunk uh, when I was mm-hmm. around it because it was always like a social setting. Uh, which I think was, it didn't do me any favors developmentally, but I was, that, that kind of ramped up, made my drinking even more so because I would, whenever I would be out socially, I'd be around females and I would just get wasted. And uh, I think there's a sports um, p- part of that too, maybe, you know, like, like uh, just kind of go hard or go home. Did you, did you have that at all? Absolutely, yeah. And the swimmers were all drunk. I mean, I, not they're not all alcoholics. <laughs> I know, but I know. We all yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, and maybe that was like that, you know, across most of us. Like, but we all hung together and we drank hard. And we would show up to practice drunk or super hungover or, you know, um, we, yeah, did everything to the extreme. I mean, we used to drive, the, you know, to the um, training in Florida. We would do like winter training. So we'd all take a bus and we'd all like pack booze and like get hammered on the bus. And so then you have, I don't know, 30 drunk kids on a bus, like one bathroom people get, I mean, it's just like, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. All, I mean, yes. Swimming sports. I mean, I think cause there's that competitive drive. Yeah. You do everything big. What was happening to your development, like as a person? Like I always felt like I, really, when I got to college, especially because I could drink as much as I could figure it out, I, I totally mm-hmm. pressed the pause button emotionally on any kind of growth or development. Did you have a similar experience? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying to think of yeah, I was just a mess. I mean, I was just, I, I just didn't give a shit. I just didn't give a shit about anything but drinking. Um, I didn't care about, so that's not true. When I was sober, when I wasn't drinking, I would, I would have these, you know, I would care, I'd be kind. And then drinking started and it was, it's all bets were off. Yeah. I was all about myself. I was all about, um, you know, not caring if I was, if I hurt somebody else, not caring if I got behind the wheel of the car. Like it was just. It was like night and day. I mean, it was a light switch. Um, and that was a really hard part because then I'd sober up or I, you know, the next morning and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like shame, like that shame. And so as a person, and then it's like you either go one way or the other. You either get help or you keep going down that, down that spiral. And I kept going down that spiral. And eventually it's just kind of like, you to- I, like, I totally lost myself. I lost who I was. I lost my, you know, it's like for me, like just the ego took over because all that mattered was getting attention or getting affection or getting drunk or getting whatever, like fill in the blank. It was all about like more, 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 whatever. And if you, that makes sense. It makes total sense. And cause, cause guys, I don't care, you know, if you're the toughest, tough guy on the block, 
you have shame. You may not want to admit it, and you may cover up cover it up with bravado or ego. But guys wake up and they have shame, you know, after like whatever mm-hmm. young guys, and and it's different. I don't care how you slice it, and especially was when we were uh, in college. Like there was a different emphasis put on women and and what and how they behaved. So it's like there's just more pressure, I would imagine. Totally, and that's a you know, and that's and that's not a. But it is like, and that's kind of the joke. It's like guys, it's like, Hey, good for you. And girls, it's like, you're an awful human. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I laugh because I really don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like that's the most, that's just so unfortunate, you know, that it's like that or was like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, there are, you know, a lot of, not well, not you know. I say there is a lot of regrets. There aren't a lot of regrets because everything I did brought me to this point, and I couldn't be happier with who I am today. Period. Um, but you know, there's still like it's when you leave that destruction of other people in your path that it starts to feel really bad. Because I think again, like at my core, I'm not a bad. I'm not a. I'm not a deceitful person. I'm not um, manipulative. I'm not a liar. You know, but all of those things were out the window when I started drinking. Like those things didn't matter. You know, everything, every blend that I was, every great trait that I had was totally flushed down the toilet the second I poured alcohol into my body. Well, and for me and for, I know for you, like I relate to that as well, but that's why we have a program because like, there's really no, there's no real way. I don't know. This is the, I only know one way to do it. Right. But like to, to stop because now you're on planet earth and you've got all these Mm -hmm. emotions and quote unquote regrets that you've got to deal with, but you're getting involved in recovery. And for me, getting involved in 12 step makes me realize like, Oh, I'm not a bad person. I was sick. And Mm -hmm. those people Mm -hmm. that I had hurt, they now see me getting well. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're like, okay. And they, they understand, they may not even say it and they may never want to talk to me again, but I'm doing my part from here on out. And, and that shame goes away because what do we do, right? We start to stack esteemable acts on top of one another. And we're like, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not a piece of garbage. You know, I'm actually all right. And I have these real actions that I do every day that speak to that. Right. And it's like also, you know, that living amends, like you just said, someone may never speak to you again, but I'll never treat another human like that. Or I'm not that person anymore. Therefore, I know that I won't repeat those patterns because I've made the conscious effort to change, you know, and when you're at that place of, and for a long time, it was like, I can pick shame or I can pick recovery. I can pick um, recovery or I can continue to hide or, you know, repress the shame. Uh And for a very long time, I just continued to repress the shame, which meant drinking on top of it. You know, it's like, I'm really embarrassed, or I made a bad decision, or this isn't who I am. I can ask for help, or I can keep going. And for a long time, it was like, I'm just going to keep going because I don't want to deal with this. And it's really funny. It's like this past Easter, I was at my mom with my mom. And we were joking because my mom's like, I learned that from my mother. And so it was a passed down trait. Like we joke about it, but my mom's like, when I was little, put your sunglasses on, stop crying. It'll go away eventually. And her mom taught her that. And so that's what I did. And I was like, well, if I just look the other way, if I grin and bear it, if I smile and I look great on the outside or good on the outside, or at least not, you know, crying, then I'm okay. And everyone else will think I'm okay. And that's what matters, what everybody else thinks. So if everybody else can look at me and say, like, she's got her stuff together, then I'm fine. Even though on the inside, I'm like burning alive. You know, and, um, that, yeah. and that was, 
that ahead. was a really hard thing to kind of get through. Well, to and talk about it, right? And yeah, to admit. To, and, and this is the question I want to ask you now as so you're going through college and, and I had had some people kind of check in with me like, dude, like what's up, mm-hmm. you know, like something, mm-hmm. something's up with you. Um, I'm mm-hmm. noticing that I'm drinking, um, differently than other people. Did you have, I, I have alcoholism all in my family. Do you have that at all? Like in your, in your family? Remember they said like, we don't talk about things in my family. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know. I mean, I'm kidding, but like, it depends on who you ask. Like some people will say yes. And I think, um, my, my, grandparents um i think some people will say there's problem drinking but i was the first person in my family i believe on either side to admit that i had a problem called alcoholism ever yeah uh, my brother i think my brother kevin was i mean these guys are out there and they're sober now and then mike definitely was like my dad's side of the family is like alcoholics just littered with alcoholics good people yeah. but, sick pe- <laughs> but sick people and yeah. They, they didn't, you know, if you showed up to work, you were okay. And, uh, yeah. and that's just like, I don't know, man, that's, it, was, it was nice that I had some people come before me to snap, uh-huh. snap that branch of the family tree. And it sounds like you did that for your family. So you're, you're here, you're, that voice in the back of your head, is it telling you like, maybe I need to do something about this? Was that ever happen in, in college or were you just like, keep, keep marching on? No, and because I surrounded myself with people that drank like me. And so I had a couple, like my best friend, college roommate, who I'm still incredibly close to. She's my best friend in the world. She's amazing. Um, and she, like, she was like, I'm concerned. Like, because I was a blackout drinker. Yeah. Even in college. I mean, especially in college. And I would run, like, I would run in heels. Like, I don't know, you know, girls dressed up to go out on a Friday night, like wear heels and like would run and I'd fall and I'd wake up with bruises and cuts all over my legs. And I was like, ha ha, you know, it's so funny. It's so look what I did last night. And it's not funny. And the sad part was that continued into my twenties. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually it's not funny when you're 28, and, you know, with scars all over your legs and bruises all over your legs from falling. But, um, but I also like the swimmers drank a ton. And so I really surrounded myself with other people that drank like me. And there was a joke. It's like only alcoholics go to meetings. Therefore I'm not an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, and it was, <laughs> and I laughed about it in college and then later I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, and so yeah, a couple people, especially my senior year were like, you, you're, act, you're not being a nice person. Like we're really concerned about you. And I was like, what are you like? What are you going to do about it? Not quite fine. I don't need to be your, you know, like I had that kind of smug, like I don't need to hear what you have to say. This is your problem, not mine. Attitude, um, which didn't do me any favors, you know. Um, so I had some really good friends who I'm friends with now. Like we're, you know, but at the time it was like there are there are a couple of weeks there. It was really tough. Or like this isn't okay. This isn't who you are. Like you've gotten worse. Um. But it was also like, I'm in college. Everybody does this in college. How did you but finish what I up? Didn't, Go ahead. Um, but what I didn't realize was that nobody was getting as drunk as I was. People were drinking, you know, but they weren't blacking out. We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. 
Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. How did you finish up competitively? Uh, I mean, I finished. In the, you know, but I like in the pool, like were you like, did you? Yeah, <laughs> I walked across the finish line. I was like, I was done. Um, I came in really great. Like did great my freshman year. By the time senior year, I was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, and I was fine. I was okay. I made it. I swam. Um, I think as a punishment, I was the only senior in my team that wasn't given a captain role by the coach. And I was really upset because there were only four of us <laughs> and there were three captains. And I was like, so I don't know if that was kind of a, you know. <laughs> and that's the kind of sh- that's the kind of shit we bury underneath more alcohol. That's the kind of stuff like I, I know, right. like stuff like that, like ah, like whatever, and you know they don't because of this or that or, you know. I even, don't really care. Yeah, I I don't care, and that's like, all that stuff mounts. Did you did you real back before we get you out of college? Did you have any like what was that your parents' divorce? Was that preying on you at all? Uh, as you, as you went through college or was that, was that something that didn't affect you? No. And I have to say my parents did a really great job of holding it. I mean, they, they, they would drive to swim meets together. Um, so I've got to give them kudos and props. Like they would get in the car. My brother would come. He was still in high school. My sister was at school in Vegas. Um, she was at school in <laughs> Vegas cause she was such a good swimmer. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, she went to UNLV. She ended up having an injury. Um, but yes, yeah, so she went to UNLV and her 21st birthday was wild. Her so was? I was 23 and she was 21 and we went out to Vegas for her birthday and it was like, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but my brother, <laughs> this is so for a not, that's, that's a conversation of that podcast, but, um, okay. she, um, yeah. So my brother and my mom and my dad would get in the car and they'd drive from Baltimore and come to all my swim meets. Um, and so that was, a, that was really nice for me to see the, like the kindness that they had towards one another. I mean, they weren't friends, they didn't like hang out, but they definitely put on a really good show or face or whatever it was when it came to supporting me in swimming and school and, and all that. So that was, um, I think the divorce allowed me space to explore my alcoholism to a greater extent to some, you know, because yeah. they weren't in under the same roof and you could kind of, yeah, nobody's, you know, three kids. I'm the, so I think it gave me a little bit of space to explore that, but they, the two of them together were really great as far as like coming, you know, graduation and school and swim meets and all that stuff. They really did a great job of kind of putting on that front of, at least getting along. I mean, shit happens. People get divorced. I mean, that's like, that's life. And and it sounds like they handled it in a pretty positive way. Now you you get out of college is what happens to your life? It's like on to the, it's like off to the races. What are you doing? Are you you, you working PR, right? uh So I worked, um, and stayed in Richmond and worked at a marketing firm, a small marketing firm. So had a lot of great experience. And we did a, um, a press event at the National Press Club in D.C. I met um, an, a guy, an employer there, and so I ended up because I wanted to. I was like, I don't want to stay in Richmond. I want to go to a big city, right? And so I ended up moving um, back home to Baltimore, commuting to D.C. Um, 
but then I ended up moving oh closer to DC. So I was commuting. I actually lived in Laurel, which is like outside of DC, which is outside of DC, right between Baltimore and Washington. Sorry, I'm taking a drink. I, um, yeah, go ahead. And and I would take the train in. So it's like the Mark train, it's a commuter train. Uh-huh. And I would drink co- coffee in the morning and then I'd go to work. And at Union Station in DC, I don't think it's there anymore. There used to be a liquor store. And I would get two bottles of the little, like single serving wine things. And I would go in the bathroom and wash my cup out because people would dr- drink on the train ride home all the time. But they would give you like little dental cups, like the clear, tiny uh-huh. mouthwash cup things. I was like, no, it's not going to work. So I'd go to the bathroom, <laughs> I'd wash, a, wash the coffee out, like from that day, pour the two bottles of wine in and drink that on the way home. Because if I'm chugging it, nobody's going to think it's wine. And so I would, you know, take the train home. I'd go back to my apartment and I'd drink a bottle of two or wine a night. And that became my life. We, sk- um, we skipped over a good part. So you, you said that oh, w- there was a relationship. And it, was that in Richmond or into D.C.? Yeah. So that was in, that was, um, in DC. So when I was like, so I'd found myself in dysfunctional relationships after, you know, after college, it was it's a surprise. I right? Sought out, right. I <laughs> yeah. sought out people who were just as, or, you know, just as dysfunctional as I was, whether it was, um, you know, one was smoking marijuana all the time, all like as much as I was drinking, he was smoking weed. We didn't talk. We didn't, it was like just existing. You know what I mean? But I was like, cool. Nobody, this person's not going to judge me for getting hammered every night and blacking out and go, you know, like, He's just smoking weed. So he'd sit on one end of the couch, I'd sit on the other. Like, you know, it just, <laughs> but it was fine until it wasn't. Until he was like, I think you have a problem. I'm like, you have a problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and like, um, you know, and just all the craziness, like just like, just the falling. And I was continuing to black out and I was getting older and I was, um, I think I was 25 at that point. Like, and I just started, like, I started traveling when Michael was swimming. I would get drunk in different countries. Um, yeah, what's that like, by the way? Your brother starts to ascend. I mean, it's crazy, I mean, right? Like, his rise is, he's everywhere. Um, he's mm-hmm. gold medal upon gold medal. What's that like for you to be a, a part of that ride? Because you guys are really tight. And it was different, right? Like, pre-drinking versus post-drink. Because pre-drink, it was just, it was great. It was a great party. It was a great vacation. We'd go and watch him swim. My mom would go home. I'd go out with the younger people. We'd get hammered. And it was like, it was amazing. It was, and you know, and as an alcoholic, there was a lot of attention and I loved that. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, I'm important. You know, like I'm not doing anything, but I'm really important. Um, and that was, so there were a couple of Olympic, <laughs> sounds so funny, a couple of Olympics, 2000, 2004. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that I was drinking and you know we had and some of it was really fun but I remember being at a 2000 at a party at, at like a, a media party they had these massive ones this and is in, a, in, in Athens and this was in Athens yeah and uh, and you know it's who's who of parties I mean all you know all these celebrities and media personalities and athletes and just every, everybody's there. And, you know, you can't take, I mean, it was still the time of like a flip phone. So it's not like, yeah. they were like, can't take any pictures. <laughs> but that's the re- that's the real stuff when you're around people and you're just like, what the heck is happening? Yeah. But, but we were like, my sister and I were dancing on the stage and someone the next day was like, you were really drunk last night. And I remember saying, no, I wasn't. I remember everything. That was my barometer. 
Like if I remembered it, I wasn't that drunk. Yeah. You know, and I was like, if I blacked out, then that was a good night, I think. Or was it, you know, it's kind of that weird, like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just found myself in like in dysfunctional relationships. And then that was, you know, that one ended when he's like, I think you have a problem. And then I found myself in another one that was even more, even worse. I mean, like, you know, I, he came from an alcoholic family. There's a lot of abuse. There was um, a lot of anger there, you know, and, and he was, I didn't know that. <laughs> he was living with another girl that he had just gotten engaged to and he broke it off. Like it was, you know, that wow. just like level of just like insanity that looking back, it was like in the moment I was like, Oh, this must be true love. And looking back, I'm like, this is so dramatic and unnecessary and insane insane um and that's the relationship I got sober in so as crazy as it was and as dysfunctional and um I gotta ask you said you, know, ab- you said abuse was he abusing you there's verbal and yeah okay and there's a lot of anger slamming doors breaking doors off hinges kind of things like that like no grab like no physical uh-huh abuse but just the intimidation yeah intimidation that's abuse the verbal, i mean the, that's not yeah, like you know, yeah that's i know yeah that, that stuff like, has a lasting thing. impact it does and that's the girl thing too because some people are like it's not abuse unless it leaves a mark and i'm like well that's not really accurate yeah so um all right yeah, so how do was, we get sober was, so so we're in this, so how do we this get sober? nightmare so we're in this <laughs> <laughs> right I've, I've been in plenty of them so there's no judgment oh, here yeah. yeah it's the worst and it's so, it's just it's it is exhaustion. The alcoholism is exhaustion. And then the relationship and the, the, like you said, the drama and you know, when normal people get a window, this is for me into this relationship, they're like, Oh my God. Like you bring your your relationship around people that are like actually on planet earth. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Mm -hmm. Jesus, like, well, like, and, and, and even as screwed up as I was at the time, I remember thinking like, oh boy, you know, like the walls are closing in. Like I'm, my buddy, my buddies who I used to party with till we both fell down or never slept. Now they don't even want to talk to me because mm-hmm. of my situation, mm-hmm. my relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and sounds like you were at the same point. So what, what happens when you say enough is enough? Exact same point. So what happened was he, my friends were all like, what are you doing? Just leave. Right? Like, We'd been three months in, so we decided to go to couples counseling. We've been together for three months. (laughs) I mean, this is like ridiculous, right? My friends are like, why are you even wasting the time? I'm like, because it's meant to be. I know it. You know, like I want this like fairy tale moment and he's the one that's going to deliver this like, you know, I mean, you know, and and that's like for me. happily ever after. Yeah, it's going to be happily ever after. And for me, as like an alcoholic, I can convince myself of anything or talk myself in or out of anything, right? Like using my mind. And so I was living in this really focused like mind space of convincing myself that this is what it was. My friends are like, you're insane. Um, he didn't like any of my friends. They didn't like him. So either I, you know, it was, it, yeah, you know. And so he said to go to the therapist and he's like, she has a drinking problem. And the woman's like, do you think you have a drinking problem? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. I just drink two glasses of wine a day. And she goes, how big are the glasses? And I was like, damn it, you got my number. <laughs> like she knew because it was like they were big glasses filled to the top. And so 
Um, so she's like, why don't you start coming to me independent? And so I did. And so I went to my first therapy because my, you know, my, my family didn't believe in therapy. I'd asked to go when I was younger and, um, I was told it was fine. I was fine. And so when I finally, when I got into therapy and I had this woman listening and she's like, do you think you have a problem? Like, I don't know. She goes, well, what happens if you don't drink tonight? And I was like, I'd be fine. And so I was like, well, what if I have one glass? And so, you know, I have one glass of wine. I lay in bed and it's not, it's worse. It's purgatory. It's worse than not drinking, having one glass of wine. And so I get up in the middle of the night. I find NyQuil. I drink that and I go to bed because I'm like, I can't. Like the, the skin is crawling. I have major anxiety. I, I can't drink one glass. And so that didn't work. And she's like, why don't we go to a meeting? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. An AA meeting? There's no, I would rather die than go to an AA meeting. No, or, you know, a 12 step recovery meeting. Like, yeah. there's no way. No. I'm like, and so eventually after, you know, I, I said, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll go. And so she's like, I'll go with you. I was like, gosh, darn it. <laughs> this is a kick ass therapist. <laughs> She's amazing. I still remember her name. I think I still have her card. Like I've been thinking about whether like to connect with her again, but she's like, yeah, oh, why do I go with you? You just said it, connect with her. You guys send her a message. Yeah. So what I'm happens? So say, she like, goes with you? So we go, so we go to, she's like, okay, let's meet here. We'll go. I was so proud of myself. I didn't drink the night before. It's like a huge deal. I go into the meeting and these people are sharing so openly and it's so uncomfortable because they're talking about things that I always thought you never talk about you don't talk about your relationship openly. You don't talk about abuse openly. You don't talk about your drinking openly. Like you keep those things quiet. You just put a smile on and you just look, you just look the part. And so these people are very transparent and that was very uncomfortable. And so a woman came up to me after the meeting and she's like, you're new. Here's a big book. Tell me your story. Tell me everything. Where was what the meeting by the way? DC? It was in, no, it was in, um, it was in a little train depot outside of Laurel, um, okay. Maryland. Okay. I've also thought about going back there. It was on a Sunday. Um, and I was like, so overwhelmed. I'm like, I can't go back. I don't want to tell you anything. I don't want like this. I'm, I wasn't ready. And so I was like, I won't drink when I'm not going back there. And so I held out for three months and then it was Christmas. And I'm like, it's Christmas, it's New Year's Eve. Of course you have to drink. Everybody drinks. So I drank and everything they, you know, everything that's written in the big book is, you know, it's just waiting, you know, at least here we say, uh, you know, your disease is doing push-ups, just waiting for you to come back. Yeah. My disease was stronger than ever. And I was off to the races. It was not one night. It was so much worse to hangover. It was excruciating. I was in bed for the weekend. Um, I'm like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. Then it was my birthday three months later, you know, like, okay, one more time. Let's see. Just as bad. You know, I'd find myself waking up in the morning, sitting in the shower, kidneys in pain, my body hurt, my skin hurting, thinking I can't do this anymore. But by noon, I'm like, eh, I feel fine. It <laughs> yeah. was just a one-time thing. Yeah. And I'd go back out. Um, and so then ultimately what happened is this, this, this relationship even though everybody knew I was drinking, everybody saw it, everybody, you know, my family would see me drink. He said, if you don't get your stuff together, I'm going to tell your family how bad it really is. And that to me, I couldn't even fathom. And so I said, okay. And this, the relationship had ended. Um, I'd moved to DC and I had. But you're just, are again. you still on again, off again with this dude? Uh, it was like that weird space of like, 
we would talk every once in a while, but then, yeah, kind of. Yeah, so he genuinely cared about smart. you, and he was like, yeah. this is and bad. I, yes, and I credit him. As bad as the relation, as unhealthy as the relationship was, I credit him for getting me sober, 100%. Wow. And so by the grace of God, yeah, I mean, he... Hillary, isn't that funny? I always say, like, whatever gets you in the door. Like, it, what, yeah. whatever. And it's sometimes it's the craziest people. It's the most unexplainable of situations. But the fact that you make it in there alive with the heartbeat and you've got a shot, mm-hmm. like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I... Even in meetings, even when I share my story and everything, every single thing, I credit him. I mean, I don't talk to him. I haven't talked to him. I haven't, like, we have no contact. I, there's no need to, like, I have no desire. There, you know, but, like, I, because of him, I got sober. Yeah. And so he, he was, I think we were on the phone. And um, because I said, oh, because I would drunk text. Uh-huh. So I'd get really drunk and then look at my phone the next day. I'm like, ugh. And that was when they're flip phones. So you'd have to like work for text messages. Yeah, it's it like, like 2007, A-A-A-A. right? Like the razors, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like the, you know, keyboard. I mean, anyway, so I know, darn it. So he's like, you I need to. can help. only imagine what some of those text messages actually look <laughs> like. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The incoherent, like, insanity. And yeah. so, yeah. And I and I'd lived, I'd lived on my own. I got, I mean, and I had, and he was like, you need, you need help. And so I called a couple of, like, I'm not going to inpatient because that's for people that really have a problem. Yeah. I'll go to outpatient. You know, I try to, you know, I tried to step, it didn't work. I'm going to go to, I'll, I'll check out this space. And so I did. And I called this place and they said, it was a Friday, uh, Thursday. And they said, we don't have space until Monday. Can you try to stay sober this weekend? Like, sure. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, not a chance. Yeah. You know, not a chance. And uh, and yeah, that Friday night I went out by myself to a bar that I knew with bartenders. It was like messy. Yeah, it got messy. And then I was sitting next to a guy that was a coke dealer, and he was flirting with me. And I was like, maybe I don't have to go to rehab. I can just marry this guy. He's gonna save me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is this is my answer. This is why. And then clearly that did not. I did not. And I um, checked into rehab on Monday. So you went to the, 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 the like the IOP. That or, was last. So um, intense about yes, IOP. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And then continuing care after that. So it's called Colmac. Um, it's in DC. I've and, heard of it. I yeah. so I went to after Karen, I went to Karen, right? and then I I lived in Bel Air. I went to like a halfway house. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there were people in the Bel Air area that had gone to Comac. I grew up in Whiteford. Oh, that's right around the corner. Yeah, that's the that's the country I grew up in. So it's like 20 minutes north of Baltimore and the Pennsylvania line. That's where I grew up, so Baltimore. And yeah. then my parents, I mean, Whiteford, and then my parents would drive me to Baltimore. Yeah. To swim. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah, I, 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 lived in a, I worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Bel Air. Like, I, I heard. <laughs> I heard your story with Mark. I, was, I listened to that podcast, and I was like, that's when I met you. I'm like, you're the most amazing human. What a like humbling and beautiful, incredible path. Well, thank you for saying that. A lot amazing. of a lot of good chicken. You know, so I, I can't <laughs> complain. So you still eat it? Uh, oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah. yeah? Uh huh. Yeah. Did you ever have grilled? I would. I've had grilled. I've had it all, and I would like to go back there to that one in Bel Air. I would, but at some point I'll have to do it. All right. So back to you. <laughs> so you go. So you're going to this IOP. And what's happened? Uh-huh. What's happened into your life? Um, 
so going to IOP, it's five days a week, three hours a night, uh, right after work, 530 to 830. You're taking interviews, you're checking in. And I'm still pretending like I am fine. I'm smiling. I'm going into IOP. I'm like, you know, you check in. So you go around the room. How is your day? What's new? What's happening in your life? I'm good. I'm great. Work is fine. Everything's good. Smile. Take my interviews. Sit back down. You know, I'm like, fine. I feel fine. I feel, you know, things are easier. I'm I'm sleeping. Um, Then it's not fine. Then I go into IOP one night. And I am, I'm spiral. Like I'm, I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm upset. I'm ha- everything. All those emotions that I've been drinking down and stuffing for so many years come to the surface. And I'm sitting in the court, like I'm like just crying. And they get to me, and I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> and they're like, Are you? And I go, No, I'm not fine. And I let it all out. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what this is. I don't know why I'm angry. I'm not angry at anything. I don't know what's happening right now. This is really frustrating for me. I can't control it. I can't like do, you know, and they started clapping. And I'm like, why are you clapping? This isn't okay. And they're like, this is great. And from that moment, I was like, it's okay to just be honest. Like that was like this breaking point. I mean, I literally had a breaking point and it just came out and I was in a safe space to share it. Thank God. And they, you know, and as a firstborn, as an overachiever, as a competitive, like all of that stuff, I got approval for letting it out. And I was like, Oh, and then, um, and then like a couple of days later I was going around. I was like, great. I'm feeling so good. <laughs> I'm going to be a vegan. I'm going to quit. I was smoking tons of cigarettes at the time. I'm going to be a vegan. I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes. I'm going to quit caffeine. I'm going to quit Diet Coke. I'm going to quit sugar. And I'm going to quit drinking. Now is the time when I become perfect. And they look at me. They're like, just don't drink. Yeah. You can do all those other things all you want. Just don't drink. And I was like, oh. And again, it was like someone let me off the hook and I didn't have to be perfect or appear perfect or any of those things. So I was like, cool, I can still smoke. Okay. So I go out at half time, you know, whatever, and smoke cigarettes and I'm drinking my diet Coke and all those things. But it was like, somebody gave me that out to just focus on that one thing, which is not drinking a day at a time. And from there, I mean, I did everything the first year that people suggested everything I went, you know, they gave me, well, so they gave, you're not supposed to, fraternize or go to meetings with people in your IOP group. And so they give you the numbers of women who have gone through the program already. So you can meet them for meetings Um, because they've had, I guess they had people go out. And you called those women? I did. See, nobody does that usually. (laughs) That's impressive, right? I was, so I was desperate. There was, there was one night, right? Like, because I would go to IOP during the week and then on weekends I, I went to meetings because on Monday at the IOP, they said, what meetings did you go to? And I was not going to not tell, I was not going to be the one that didn't go. I was held accountable. Like somebody held me accountable and I would go back and I was like, I went to this meeting, but I didn't, you know, I didn't share. Um, And then there was one night, like a Saturday night when I was just, I had a craving, you know, it was like, so I, the craving was lifted pretty quickly for me. Like I didn't have the craving. I just had all of the other stuff. I had all the other isms that came with it. So that was mine. There were a couple of times when I had a craving and this was like maybe six weeks in 
I was so mad. I was so mad at him. And so at myself, I'm like, this shouldn't be happening. I'm six weeks sober. Yeah. I should be fine by now. Yeah. And um, now here you are almost so, 16 years. And if it goes, <laughs> if it goes through your head, you're like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. At least that's how I am. You know, right. like, yeah. Well, if, if, yeah. If it goes through my head, I'm like, dude, that's because you're a nut job. You're an alcoholic. You respect the disease and don't make more of it than it is. Yeah. And just choose to make a, the best decision instead of, right. And so, but then I judged myself and all, all the stuff that came with it. I called the two numbers I knew, nobody answered. I left the voicemail and I was like, well, what do I do? And I remember sitting in my apartment by myself. I had done, so I had no, um, no NyQuil, nothing with alcohol in it. No um, mouthwash. Uh, I had nothing, like I, I know vanilla, like, cause I heard stories, you know, people sure. go, and I did not want to be tempted. So I cleaned everything. I, when I got my new place, I did not get anything that had any kind of alcohol or any kind of like that could alter my perception. And so I was sitting there, I'm like, what do I do? So I made a pot of coffee. Cause I was like, that's something <clears throat> it's not alcohol, but it, I knew if I left, I was going to drink or get drugs and do something or hurt, like do something because I just wanted to numb so I drank coffee. I turned on When a Man Loves a Woman, Andy Garcia and Meg sure. Ryan, The Story yeah. of Alcoholism. I watched that. I cried. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and I was like, I did it. Oh, I yeah. got through it. And if I did that once, I can do it again. And that's for me like, what the power of the program is, um, knowing if I tackle something tough and I get through it and I make it to the other side without using drugs or alcohol, then I can do it again. And it's just built on that. It, you know, get stronger. What do you tell, like, so what, what are you telling people around you, uh, your, your, your family, your close friends, people that are starting to see a change in you? Do they, do you tell them <laughs> like, cause how, you know, they're yeah. like, like somebody had done it before you and somebody will do it after you. Like what, what do you tell people, uh, if you're sponsoring somebody like how, how, how did you handle it? What's your experience? Um, so I made all new friends because everybody, all of my current friends or my friends at that time were all active drinkers. I was the worst. Right. So they didn't want to let me go because, because <laughs> I made them look great. You know, like I was the blackout. I was the one. So, um, I had somebody at that point look at me and it felt like a stab. I remember her looking at me and she goes, you stop drinking and you're no fun anymore. And that at like two months sober is crushing. If I'm like, well, who am I? What am I? Because all I want to be is fun. You know, I want someone to laugh at my jokes and I want some, and if I'm not that, what am I? So I'd turn to the room. I went to the meeting and shared it. And I had other women, you know, be like, oh, tell story, you know, and I don't remember what they were, but I did everything I was told. You know, I followed the directions of other women in the program. I went to a meeting every single day. I did not share in the beginning as often, but going to IOP made sharing easier. Sometimes I'd sit in the back and I'd put my hands in my head, my head in my hands and I would just cry because I didn't know what else to do, but I was in the meeting and I knew I was safe. And so my advice is always go to a meeting because any answer to every problem is in a meeting in some, some way, shape or form. What's it um, like? What's it like for, for, and <laughs> this is going to sound stupid. What's it like for a woman to get sober? Like a lot of times you can be the minority in, in, in the room um, it, I, I would guess it takes a little more strength to walk in there sometimes. And especially in the beginning, because I was not a, um, 
I was not the kind of woman I wanted to be a friend with. Like I wasn't kind. I was backstabbing. I talked shit about people. Like I was not a good person. I was not a kind person. And the reason it was so hard is because it's not who I am in my soul. You know, my, that's not who I, who I am, but drinking created that person. Like that's who I was and I drank. And so for a really long time, that's who I was. And so when I go into a meeting, I don't want to talk to the other women because I assume they're just like me. And there are some women in meetings that are, that are still, but, um, you, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. I think, I, I don't know. I think there, cause there is so much shame and that sounded really judgy. And I didn't mean, I was trying to be funny, not judgy. When you I were said funny. That. I laughed. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, wait a second. That's kind of and I was like, By the way, I'll do you a favor. Um, if you want me, I'll take that out. If you want me to. All right. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ooh, but, um, no, but it, but it's also, but also like rooms of a, is there rooms of people in the program are just humans. So nobody's perfect, including myself. I said so to a I dude that, today, like, I was talking, a guy was having issues with, with people in recovery for whatever reason. And I said, dude, don't forget anybody can walk in there. Like it's not the mental board of health and people got to remember that. I mean, this, this, this podcast is probably a glowing endorsement for, it is for recovery on 12 step, but any look, man, people are going to be people. Well, we're humans, right? Like in my, you know, the, the, I think they, I love this. It's like, it takes five years to find your marbles, 10 years to gather them. And then 15 years to know what to do with them. And, and I found that to be true. You know, when I had six months, I was like, I got this. And then I didn't, I, you know, like, I don't have this. I'm still not. And even today with 15 years of almost 15 years of recovery, like I'm not perfect. I just have better tools. I just know myself better. You know, it's not, and so I'm still fallible. I'm still, I still get in a bad mood. You know, my son's like, you need coffee first. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) I mean, I still get, you know, I'm like, I'm still human and we all are still human, but we just make better choices. I make better choices than I did, you know? Which was for sure. Was there a moment when somebody in your life that you were close to looked at you when you were sober and was like, gosh, I can't believe how much you've changed. Like so, like like something like that, where it's kind of like, wow, this is working. Because sometimes we're the last people to know how sick we are, and we're the last people to know how well we're getting. Yes. Um, so more when like more when I was drinking, I remember somebody saying to me, "I get these glimmers, I get these glimpses of who I think you really are," and then you start drinking, and everything disappears. Um, I think the more time I have, the more that glimmery, that person is there all the time, you know, like it's there, there's that change. Um, I'm trying to think because there was a long time. I, my mom didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to deal with it, that I was sober. Um, because she didn't know how to process it. Um, but what a gift to your family. I mean, like, because right. your brothers had publicly, like, struggled, and he's come out and owned stuff, and I got to believe it's just like yeah. my family, except for we're in a bubble. Like, you know, I never, pro- I probably do not get sober if my brother Michael doesn't walk in a meeting and say he's he's sober, and like I said earlier, snap off that branch of the family tree, and at least open mm-hmm. the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then and my so brother open. Kevin followed suit, and it was like, okay, you know? Yeah. Are you the youngest? I am the youngest, yeah. And Kevin's the <laughs> oldest, so Michael went first. I mean, I always tell people, this is the last fucking club we wanted to join, but here, <laughs> here, we, here we are, and it's the best thing that ever happened to us. But Mike yeah. Mike first, 
uh, and then Kevin after, and and then uh, they had written me off for as good as dead. Uh, but then I like you know, and that's what I always tell people too. I was as hopeless as, as somebody could be, and yeah. uh, and here I am talking to you today. So, but anyway, so you opened that channel of communication for your family. Um, but, but a year, a year in your mom still doesn't want to talk about it because she's a human being too. Um, I don't know that my mom didn't talk about it until my brother went. So it was a very, um, and then that goes to my, right. Like that goes to my insecurities of like, now I'm still not good enough either. Mm -hmm. And so when I was drinking, I wasn't good enough. Now I'm sober. I'm not good enough. Like, what is it? And what I've had to learn is to let the people in the program love me, you know, and like, you are good enough. And, um, the family stuff's always a nightmare, and, Hillary. Right. I mean, like, like oh, right. I mean, right. Well, that's yeah. what I was like, my family's the only one that's dysfunctional. <laughs> and then you get into the rooms and you're like, Oh, my family is not dysfunctional at all. You know, or yeah. like, or, you know, yeah, whatever. But it's like, and that's the beauty of it too. It's like the, you know, um, the, the, the rooms are just a place like, for extended family. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's literally where I've taken every single problem and someone has raised their hand or somebody, you know, because the good thing about going and walking into a meeting is that some people may have, you know, some people could have really bad days, but then there are a lot of people who are there who are having really good days. And so that's like the great reminder to go all the time because you never know when your good days are going to help somebody who's having a bad day. Um, there was a woman, Marilyn, who went to this, uh, she's since passed, but she went to this meeting outside of Philly that I would go to all the time, 562, it was a clubhouse. And she would say, if you're having mm -hmm. a bad day, go to a meeting. If you're having a good day, go to two. And it's mm -hmm. kind of, it really is, we, we, we need those people in meetings mm -hmm. who are having good days, who are experiencing success, who are, you know, I've heard a guy say he was, he, this guy was at he's sober 20 some years and he's playing golf with a guy who's sober 20 some years. But the, the one guy is like, yeah, I just don't go to meetings anymore. I'm not, I just don't need it. And the guy who's actively going to meetings says, Oh, so you got yours. So, so now fuck everybody else. And it's kind of oh, like, so well, and it's, you know, it's a little harsh no. and pardon the language, but like that is, Look, our job is to pay it forward. And by the way, I, if right. I don't go to meetings, I'm going to lose my shit. So that's, I need to go. Any, I, I, I will never be right. able to be that guy. But some people, I guess, I don't know, are doing okay. But, you know, to keep going and to let the person with, with a day see, see you or whoever, you know, they'll see Hillary at 16 years. And then they're like, oh, okay. Because we all crawled in there. I mean, mm -hmm. all of us crawled in there in one way or another. Nope. Nobody wants to be there. Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody wants to give it up because, and I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about our conversation. It's like alcohol was the only thing, only person, you know, it was the one thing that never let me down until it stopped working. Right. It was there in good days. It was there in bad days. It was there when I was happy. It was there when I was sad. It was there when I was bored. I mean, I used to get drunk to do the laundry. I would get drunk to go to the grocery store. I would put wine in a sippy cup. Like I was like the generic alcoholic mom before I was even a mom. Like it was, you know, I do it all this. I did it all the time. And it, it was always there for me. It always made me feel better. It always, you know, gave me the, the that feeling of like, you know, I can do anything. And then it stopped working. And I was like, damn you. Why, you know, how could you do this to me? And then losing that best friend and having to replace it with tools that are healthier and better. is really hard because nobody, I, I didn't want to lose that best friend. I didn't want to, cause that was easy. 
you know, I wanted somebody, I wanted like before, before I even explored the option of getting sober, I was like, and I don't say this to be funny, but this is literally, I was like, maybe I'm dyslexic. Maybe I'm a lesbian. Maybe I am fill in the blank. Like I was trying to find every route possible for my discomfort and discontent other than having to give up my alcohol. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, I can relate. I mean, it's like anything, <laughs> nothing, I, I, there's nothing um, I will put in front of that. There's just what never was. Yeah. And when you look back, those are the moments of insanity. Uh, you know, I talk about it when they were like, oh, you could have gotten a heart problem through using drugs or abusing alcohol. And I was like, no, 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 no. It was a, it was a virus. And like, I was like, and I continue to drink. And it was like one of those things where I'm, I'm, I might be killing myself, but as long as other people don't know, that's, that's okay. You know, and as long as I can continue to kill myself, I mean, it's purely insane, but it's where this thing takes us. Right. That's when I heard your story. Um, I was like, Oh my gosh, you had a heart condition and you were doing Coke and Oh, oh my gosh. It's like, you you yeah. did it. Like us alcohol, us addicts, we do it big. Like go big or go home. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna I say just just drink with a heart condition. I'm gonna drink and do coke and do ecstasy and all the other things that go yeah. with it because I'm gonna go big. Yeah. yeah. That's it's, where we go. And it, that's insane. Yeah. And other people don't understand they don't understand it. They're like, You have a heart condition, you just stop or you stop doing this, you stop doing that, or why? You know, like but I've heard stories and I don't know if you're the same like I've heard, I remember hearing a story in, in a meeting one time about a homeless man, how he dropped his bottle of vodka and he had no money and it was all he had for like the night. And he picked up a, he went and he got a straw and he sucked it up off of the ground. Oh. And I was like, hmm, pretty creative. <laughs> I made that. That's clever. Nobody, nobody that doesn't have a drinking problem is going to think that that's a good idea. You know? And I was like, I belong here. <laughs> I see you, man. I belong here too. Cause that didn't seem insane. What do you do today? Like as far as your, your program is concerned, because you, you obviously just from talking to you, you seem like you're living, you know, you're just living free. Uh, you're not exhausted. You're full of energy. How do you keep that momentum going? Oh, thank you. Um, how do I keep it going? <laughs> I surround myself and only listen to things that are uplifting also. Like I don't, and these are like, this is now, you know, coming up on 15 years, like this is what I've learned. Like I don't trouble myself with gossip or like celebrity gossip. I mean, I'll, everyone's not, like, I don't um, engage with drama. Like if somebody invites me to a conversation that is not healthy, like I will, I will say I can't, I can't. Because to me that, that's bad, that's bad news for me because that gets me those feelings of superiority. And at no point in my life do I ever want to feel superior to anybody else because that leads me to then, okay, well, maybe I am, maybe I don't, okay, maybe I can have a drink. But that's after 15, like I wasn't there two years ago. You know, like these are things that I do. Um, now I pray and I meditate every single day. Um, prayer is asking, I think for me, it's asking God for help. It's talking to him. It's saying I need guidance. Meditation for me is listening. Um, so I, I listen and I hear guidance. Um, my mind is silent and I can hear whether it's God's voice or my inner voice. It helps me day to day. Do you have something um, you, you like, like a, a mantra or something you say over and over again? That's a good question. I listen to guided meditation okay. because for the longest time I, I do have a mantra I actually lives in an ashram 
And so like for a couple of years uh, or a couple of months, no, not a couple of years for a couple of weeks <laughs> um, at one point. Cause I, after I got sober, cause I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it was after two years. I was like, is this it? I don't know. Cause I just, I was just having a, a moment. And so I was fortunate and blessed to be able to have the time to go and spend an ashram. So I do have a mantra that I say, if so I wait, what did you, get you, wound you, up, you, you spent, what was this? Like, where'd you go? I'm not a, I'm not uh, a yogi I, like you. So what, wait, so, so where did you, where did you go? <laughs> To broaden well, I this horizon. Of Rebecca. Yeah. I'm not a yogi. I think uh, of Rebecca. I'm like, no, no, she's a yogi. Um, yeah. um, it's an ashram. So it's where a guru lives. So it's outside of Florida. It's outside of Miami, Florida. And I studied yoga and it was the most beautiful experience. It was quiet. It's like no cell phones, um, no TV. We'd wake up every morning and chant and meditate for an hour, do two hours of yoga, eat in silence. Um, karma yoga, which meant we were weeding or we were picking avocados in the trees. I mean, it's a very privileged existence and I don't dispute that. And I'm very blessed to have been, had that opportunity to go. <laughs> um, but it was a really nice shift in my, my, um, my like spiritual journey. Like I consider myself exceptionally, not exceptionally, incredibly spiritual. Um, I think that the drinking and the drugs and that lifestyle muted my, like the light. I think we all have this beautiful light inside of us that, that wants to shine, give the world, like we have gifts to give the world. And I think by pouring alcohol on them, I dimmed it for so long. And for me, going to meetings, talking to people in the program, listening to positive content, um, doing meditations, moving my body, eating healthy, um, not drinking and doing drugs, like all of those things help my light shine more there's, you know they help it, it there's two things i totally relate there's two things like you know i i need to be spiritual to maintain my sobriety this is what i've mm -hmm. learned which by the way I, I lack i lack a lot my my spiritual condition is lacking um but when i am connected with god uh mm -hmm. i am i am also filling that void that drugs and alcohol used to fill, and it's giving me that feeling of, of mm -hmm. alcohol. So it's two things. One, it's separating me from a drink, and but two, it, it gives me that shit that I like, feeling good. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, like you, that's, you, I heard a guy say, the guy says it, he's, uh, his name's Ernie, he goes uh, to a, a meeting I go to around here in Texas, and he says, if you don't find something that makes you feel the same way that alcohol and drugs did, it's likely you're going to go back out and do that shit again. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I found that uh, in, in, in recovery and, and, and talking to people like you and practicing these positive things you're talking about. Yeah, because there's not another human being or thing or there's no food, there's no bag, there's no person, there's no car, there's no, there is absolutely nothing that is going to fill my hole more than a spiritual program. Nothing. And I've tried. <laughs> yeah. I've tried in sobriety and it doesn't work. Well, yeah, it's usually the last thing you turn to, uh, you know, like, like we'll always like put it down and be like, maybe I can figure out this way X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I always, I always end up going back because I always end up <laughs> falling flat on my face with whatever I'm trying to do. All right. Last thing, because I know you have a, a life to get onto. What do you tell a woman who comes in and just is trying to get a day? They, she doesn't know what to do. Um, what do, what do you tell her? And she asks you, she says, Hillary, what do I do? So, and this is like, so not a process, but I realized this, like I see her and like, you're super covered. I'm like, do you want a hug? Cause some people are like, no. And some people are like, that's all I want. 
And so I usually give them a hug and I just let them cry because that's what, that's, that's what I did. And that's what would have comforted me. And so then I say, and they say, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, what are you doing now? Like, I don't have any plans. I'm like, let's go to coffee. And I will usually, unless I have something like that I can't get out of, I'll move whatever it is. I'll have coffee with them. I'll spend the day with them because that's what somebody did for me. I didn't want to be alone because I was scared of what would happen. You know, I was scared that I would go back out. I'm scared. I was scared that I would be destructive. I was scared that I, you know, and so I, um, and I tell them to call me, like, call me, here's my number. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what day it is. Like, it doesn't matter. I'll always pick up the phone. You don't even have to say anything. Just pick up the phone. Cause just picking up the phone is the first step in feeling better. Cause that phone, you know, it weighs 10,000 pounds. It's like still does today sometimes. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it does. And with texting, it's so easy, but, um, but I say, just call me. Like, I'll be there. You're always welcome. You're welcome in my home. You're welcome to whatever I have. Um, because somebody, you know, people were so kind to me and, and, and they had arms open. And so, and then I have them meet me at a meeting. I'm like, great. When, you know, let's go to a meeting tomorrow. Do you want to go to a meeting tonight? Do you want to go to another one? You know, let's get your calendar. Um, and I'll go to meetings with them. And like, I didn't understand that when I first got sober is that that helped me so much much more you know like helping another person get sober helping another person stay sober or giving somebody um i don't know directions for meeting or like yeah and i because i remember at the beginning when people asked my phone number this is like a funny story to end on i guess like this woman's like can i have your phone number and i was like i don't know and she's like i don't want to date you i just want to get coffee with you so you stay sober <laughs> it's like two and a half years of, like i had like some a little bit of a ton of time but i had like a little bit of time and i was still I was so scared and I was so closed off to everything and everybody um and I'm not today and that's grateful and that's by the grace of God and that's the gift of the program and that's a gift of putting in a drink and doing the things when I don't want to and having better tools in my toolbox all right so if, any, if, if anybody yeah. here wants to get in touch with you can they do it is there any way they can do it can they message yeah. you somewhere where can they message you um um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I can give you my email. I'll, oh, no, I'll, email. I'll, 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 I'll link them. To okay. This. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Either one of those is great. Um, and I'll respond. I'll send you my number, you know, um, I mean, women in the program, I'm always happy to help if you're here in DC, Virginia and Maryland, like, um, my gift is to pay it forward. I mean, when they say keep it, away, you, know, you have to give it away to keep it. And, and I firmly believe that. Well, you gave it away today. I can't thank you enough, Hillary. This is this was <laughs> thank awesome. You. Thanks so much for listening to the Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, and of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com, and of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts: iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.